You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. I just want to say real quickly before I get into this morning's message that um, uh, I appreciate Pastor Robert and Pastor Keevan and, and then Josh and everyone else that has done so much work and continues to do work, Caleb and others, to get out the one campaign and to talk about giving and all the things that, that we need from the church as givers and as people that are generous. Uh, And we do. I encourage you along with Robert and Keevan and everyone else to participate in the One Campaign. Yes, it's an onboarding for those who have never given before because that's a way for you to surrender your heart to Jesus in a way maybe you never have before. And then it's also for those of us who call this place home who've given before to say, God, is there something more that I can do? Is there something more that I don't, as uh, one of the videos from Mariah Kelly a few weeks ago, I don't put it on autopilot and just say that's it for the next year or five years or 10 years. No, God, is there something more that you're saying to do where I can trust you and sacrifice? So this is what this time is for. And when you hear us say something like make up a difference, I want to tell you that we're not making up a difference that we got to by being frivolous and stupid. We're making up a difference because of the sacrifices that we have gone through over the last two years to be who God has called us to be. And so all of us who call this place home are now saying, you know what, we believe in what God is doing. And if there's any difference, I'll tell you this, our staff, your staff here at In Focus Church, all of us have taken cuts. All of us have shaved everything that we can shave to continue to do what God's called us to do here. So now it's part of the whole body coming together to say, whatever difference we need to make up, we're going to make up because we believe in the mission and the vision of this church in this community and in this world. And because Jesus is a difference maker, I'm going to help do my part. Amen. You know, whenever I hear about somebody saying make up a difference, I'm like, we are people who have been blessed because Jesus made up the difference. We are always going to be a people that make up the difference with everything that we do in this life. So I just want to exhort you in that. That card is not there to be a butt warmer. But you can also use the digital version as well. And we're expecting God to do great things because 2023 holds great things for us as a church. Uh, Last thing, Pastor Robert and I are going to be leaving immediately after the second service to drive down to Orlando. We want to be a part of uh, a... uh, Something that our church and every nation down there in Orlando is doing, it's to, to memorialize uh, the massacre that took place in Ocoee years ago, but then also to look forward with hope. It's just doing something with racial reconciliation. Then we're flying to St. Thomas to work with our Every Nation Campus Ministries there in St. Thomas and St. Croix, as well as looking for the church plants that we hopefully can be involved in as a church, and that hopefully some of you will be going on a mission. We're doing a little bit of scouting with Pastor Keith's church down there, but we're excited about what God's going to do through us, not just in Memphis, not just in South Africa, but then also probably St. Thomas and St. Croix and wherever else God takes us, because God's got a mission for us. So 1 John 2 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Just let that sink in for just a moment. That's a powerful, short sentence. 
There's a saying that says that at the end of one thing is the beginning of another. So we're going to be coming to the end of this series, but I hope it's not the end of your emotionally healthy spirituality and your growth and your changing and your transformation in Jesus Christ. Hopefully the end of this series for some of us or all of us here is the beginning of a continuation of a lifelong emotional health journey with Jesus and his church. Yes, the series is over, but our lives are continuing on, hopefully to be lived to the glory of God. If not, as I mentioned last week, and this will just be an inspirational moment, an inspirational few weeks that doesn't bring about any lasting change, but God's word, when applied to our lives, transforms us eternally. It changes us forever. And so we're not just looking for an emotional moment or an emotional high. We are looking for transformation through the word of God. And I believe today as we reemphasize, maybe summarize, that God wants to encourage you towards a way of life that is different from anything that you've lived before. And I, here, here's the deal. I want to be in these places where what I'm doing today as a result of something that God has revealed to me is different than what I've done before. That's okay to admit that I'm changing. Somehow we've come up with this idea that it's like, it's, I can't admit that I'm wrong, or I can't admit that this many years I did it one way and it wasn't the right way. Oh, no, this is the best time to admit it, so that everything moving forward can be to the glory of God. Something better, something greater for his name. In the book that we've used throughout this series and that you've used in your connect groups, if you've been a part of that or done any further study, or maybe you just read it on your own, Pete Scazzaro's book, An Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he talks about a rule of life. This isn't something that he made up. It came from the Desert Fathers. It came from historical theology that this rule of life that we would have, in essence, meaning a way of life that we would order for ourselves that would exhibit that we love Christ above everything else. That's what a rule of life is. That Jesus has preeminence in our lives, and we order our lives in such a way that trains us to live that way. That we'll be able, by God's grace, to love God and to love people wholeheartedly because we've given ourselves wholeheartedly to God. So let's set the table by talking about loving Jesus, because that's where all of this starts, about loving him more than anything else. It is foundational to everything that we do. We love God because he first loved us. Then we love others because God first loved us. So loving Jesus is transformative because you treasure him above all things. It's a place that we are growing towards. And out of that love, because of treasuring Christ, here's what happens. We do what he says. We do what he commands in his word. That's one of the things that comes out of our love for God. The nature of this love includes obedience. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Obey my commands. That's a proof of your love for me. But then also, we're being transformed by a love for Jesus. As we treasure him, as we admire him, as we worship him, as we exalt him, we are transformed by our love for Jesus. Being satisfied with the treasure of all that we have found in Christ alone. This is us being transformed by the love of Christ as we obey him and as we just delight in him. It's both and. The nature of love is found, I think, in one particular verse that Paul wrote in Philippians 3, that I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. It's my love for Jesus as I delight in him that I am transformed, and as I obey him that I am transformed. 
This love comes from being overwhelmed with the fact that although we did nothing to deserve it, right, that Jesus came and lived the life that we should have lived and didn't and died the death that we should have died, taking our place. And when that arrests your heart, when that captures your mind, when that infiltrates your soul, you will live in such a way that you treasure Jesus above everything else. So in order to wholly love God, so that we can wholly love people, we have to experience a profound transformation of what we treasure in this life, of what we love in this life, of what we desire in this life, and what we do in this life. My point is this rule of life that I'm talking about today is not legalism. Legalism is when we add rules to God's commands and then we connect our personal righteousness to the things that we do. We, we connect personal righteousness to all the stuff that we've added to what God has said to do. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try to do this. Or we have this idea that if, if we do this, that we can make God love us or favor us more. And the reality is, is God's never going to love you more than he already does, no matter what you do. But we're talking about intentional decisions. That's what a rule of life is. Intentional decisions that flow out of what? Our love for Jesus, not legalism, but our love for Christ above all things. So our decisions, our choices, our practices are motivated by our love for Jesus. This means we order our lives around spiritual practices and disciplines in such a way that the love of Christ our love for Christ and how we obey him and how we spend our time comes before everything else. The word, and this, this would be really what I'm saying when I use the word a rule of life. This is what a rule, rule of life is, that I am ordering my life, my spiritual practices, my disciplines, my desires, my affections towards Christ above everything else. But if we're honest, when we hear the word rule, it kind of causes us to bristle. I don't like rules. I like suggestions. Okay, granted, that's how we kind of all feel. Rules make our hearts want to run. Rules make our hearts kind of harden. But God has given us rules. And I think the problem is, is we really don't understand what a rule is really there for. Like, it's not some sort of punitive thing that if we don't do, we get punished. No, it's a rule of life. It comes from the Greek word for read. That's what rule is, a cane or a, or a standard. Or how about this, a trellis. A trellis. So better think of a rule of life as a trellis that helps us abide in Christ. So I've got a trellis that I want to use this morning kind of as an example to show you. You could buy one of these yourself if you want. They're over at a Home Depot, 12 bucks. So I don't work there. I don't get anything from that. It was just if you wanted one. All right, so here's the trellis. And I want you to see how this, think about this because it kind of brings to mind where Jesus talks about being the vine right? And as Jesus is the perfect example for us to live life, he's the one, as I said in 1 John that we just mentioned, that if we say we belong to him, we're going to follow in his footsteps. So what does a vine do? Because here's what a rule is. It's a standard. You could have even a, a pole or a cane or, or some type of reed, but it's something that is a straight, like a ruler. But here is the trellis and the vine, and that's why we're growing as a vine, and a vining plant needs a trellis to have some sort of vertical growth. 
Because the problem with us so many times is this rule of life, which is Christ trying to say, this is how you live in such a way that your gaze is upward, that your eyes are heavenward, that your, that your heart is bent towards the things of God vertically so that we live horizontally in such a way that's healthy. Watch this. I, I was cra- it was crazy as I was reading about vining plants. And, and again, this isn't me being some sort of horticulturist or anything. This is me going to Google, right? And you could do it too. And then make sure that it's, that you go a few other little places, make sure that it's true. But I didn't think there was a whole lot of people lying about vining plants out there. I don't know what they're gonna get out of that. But here's a vine. And for, for a vine to grow, a vining plant to grow properly in a healthy way, it has to be kept off of the ground. That's what a trellis does. It has to be kept out of the lowly places, if you will, to prevent disease and to prevent pest issues. When something that is supposed to primarily, watch this, when something that is primarily supposed to live vertically only decides to live horizontally, issues start to arise. So the vine begins to grow up vertically and it also keeps the vine looking nicer and it prevents the vine from taking over the garden and going into places that it shouldn't, staying in its own lane because a vining plant, this is what it says, can be bullies if they're left to sprawl out on their own. Holy cow. We can be, if we're left to just spread out on our own without a rule of life to trust Jesus more and to live with him so that we can wrap ourselves around him. And listen, the more you wrap yourself around him, the harder it is to unravel yourself from him. You ever tried to unravel a vine from a trellis? It's almost impossible because it begins to what? Graft itself in. Okay, I'm gonna stop with this for a little bit because this, this like, isn't even in my notes and I'm already way over. And me and Robert got to go somewhere after the second service. I've already said I'm driving, even though it's Robert's car, because I want to get there as fast as possible. And if I drive with him, we won't get there till tomorrow. So he sends me a dune buggy flying over a hill gift. He's like, you could drive, Pastor Brent. So, so pray for us. Let's read from Mark. It says this. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at Jesus. They began to be indignant at James and John, sorry. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. See, after James and John, here's the context. After James and John asked Jesus if they could sit at his right hand, all of a sudden, right, if you think about the vine, they're kind of spread out right they're already spreading out horizontally hey can we sit at your right hand and 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 Jesus says listen that's not for me to give and he goes on to explain it but then the disciples it says they're indignant that James and John asked this question not because they're mad at them for asking the question they're mad because they asked first wait a minute why, why didn't I think of that Yeah, we want that seat. And here's what happens. The mindset that they had was this worldly idea of power over. And Jesus had come, and that's why he was the son of man, the servant of all. He had come to say, no, it's not about power over people. It's about power under people. It's about serving them. So for honest, power over seems a little bit less difficult, doesn't it? 
It's easier to be God than to love God. It's easier to control people than to love people. It's easier to own my life than to lay my life down. Jesus asked, do you love me? And then we asked, well, can we sit at your right hand or your, and be in that place of power? Since the garden, we have always been tempted to replace love with power. Jesus lived this out his entire life where he would submit to loving the Father and loving people even when tempted with taking power. So here's the good litmus test in our lives as to whether we're maturing as Christians emotionally and spiritually, whether we're growing up vertically so that we can be healthy horizontally. It's what we're choosing in this life. Are we choosing power over love? Are we choosing control over the cross? Are we choosing being a leader over being a servant? Or we can better put, are we choosing being a leader instead of being led? And even leaders have to be led because loving Christ above all else is being willing to submit to Christ above yourself. So even a leader has to be led and submitted to Jesus so that their rule of life is surrounded by the surpassing greatness of loving God and loving Jesus more than anything else. This is what causes us to prioritize and order our lives in such a way that we are emotionally and spiritually maturing at the same time. Our activities, our decisions, our priorities, our relationships that are not what the Lord wants begin to be submitted to God and they begin to change. That's what transformation looks like. I begin to slowly but surely look more like Christ. Then and only then will you have a rule of life that is loving Christ above all else, a trellis, if you will, in your life that is leading you to a more close, intimate, vertical relationship with God, which in turn will allow you to love people well. This is the goal of Christianity, that we would love God well and that we would love people well. As we pointed out this series, the entire time, being emotionally and spiritually mature does not happen in a vacuum. But it happens in the context of relationships, the community that's on this journey together called the body of Christ, the church. Yes, the church at large, but specifically relationally, the church locally that we call here in focus, that you're a part of. It's in that context and in those relationships with real people doing real life together for the glory of God that we work through real conflict and real difficulties and we continue to be one as Jesus prayed that we would be one. In Acts 2, you see the church operating this way as it begins to explode for the glory of God. You can read in Acts 2, 42, and I will, how the spiritually and emotionally maturing church looks like. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the early church understood what it meant to follow as that scripture in 1 John says that I started off with to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to have a rule of life that led them to a relationship with God that affected their relationship with others. They ordered their lives after Jesus' life. They saw him do what he did, and then they said, that's how I'm going to live my life. Guess what? That's what discipleship is. 
If you have been saved, you did not just get saved to be saved. You were saved to become a disciple. And a disciple does what Jesus does, follows in his footsteps. If we want to look and act more and more like Christ, we have to live more and more like Christ. Matthew 16, 24 says you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross, a rule of life. How is it that we think we can be like Jesus without doing what Jesus did? <laughs> it's like we think we can be like him and then not follow in his footsteps. In a much lesser way, it's like people that think they can be the greatest in the world at something without putting in the practice to be the greatest in the world. Right? It's like, I don't care what it is. You can put a tennis player, a piano player, artist, singer, basketball player, whatever it is. I don't, engineer. You can, unless you put the time and the practice in to be the greatest, you're not going to just be the greatest. The Holy Ghost isn't just going to make you Michael Jordan. It's just not going to happen. I remember talking to my friend, Pastor Keith Tower, who, he's a seven-footer. He played at in the NBA and played with people like Shaquille O'Neal on that team. He actually was uh, on the Bulls for a little while. So he said, I was asking about the greatest player of all time. And he said, the greatest player of all time absolutely is Michael Jordan. I've never seen anybody who was so committed to winning at everything all the time. He practiced the same exact way that he played. He practiced his rule of life was that he was going to practice the same way, with the same intensity, with the same desire to win as he was when he was going to actually play the real game, you will. He practiced that way. What priorities and practices did Jesus have and make? We're to practice a lifestyle so that we can live a lifestyle that honors God. So many times we think we're going to live a lifestyle when we never have practiced a lifestyle with a rule of life and ordered our lives in such a way that honors God so that we get into a situation and we wonder where Jesus is in our life. How come I'm not acting like Jesus? What does this mean? What do we do? What are the things that we begin to add to our life or take away from our life? And there's a lot of things that we've already spoken about. See, when we don't make time for God, like when it's just convenient or we're in trouble, we prioritize a rule of life that makes time for God daily that's a rule of life i'm going to practice this this is going to be a discipline of my life a few years back i was on a mission trip in cuba and i remember as it relates to emotionally healthy spirituality and a rule of life and an order of the day if you will i got more done in two days than i usually would get done in a whole week and I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, how is this possible? And I, and I began to think through the days. I was practicing the presence of God. I was practicing the presence of people. I was listening to people. I was listening to God. I ate three meals a day because you had to. That's how they were going to set it up. And they were long meals. We didn't just kind of eat and run. No, we were sitting down eating and talking. I took a nap. I also did a daily office morning and evening. And I still felt, felt like I had more time in those two days than I had in most of my life in my normal activities how is that possible because Jesus did it Jesus accomplished a few things in his ministry don't you think and yet he still found time to get alone in desolate and silent places with God and yet he still accomplished a whole lot 
for the glory of God. Jesus didn't live a frantic life. He lived a faithful life. And I'm just like, Lord, I, I want to go from living a frantic life to a faithful life, from a tired life to a true life. And what did Jesus do? He practiced solitude and silence with God. He practiced prayer. He practiced simple and sacrificial living. He practiced intense study and meditation on the word of God. He practiced discipleship and service to others, power under. These are the footsteps that we're to follow in when we decide to follow Jesus. Matthew 11 and 28 says, Come to me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or all you who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am convinced we don't know the light and easy yoke of Jesus because we're unwilling to be trained and learn from him. See, training, train your child up, rule, trellis, that when we learn from Jesus, that's when the burden is easy and the yoke is easy. That's because I'm like, where is this light burden you speak of, Jesus? Have you ever thought that? It's like, where is it? Because my shoulders feel like really heavy. But what does our life look like when it comes to the priority of God's presence? That would be the question that I think would come back from God as we ask about this light weight that we are carrying or supposed to carry. I imagine things in the priority of our lives probably need to change if we feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. If we wish to follow Christ and experience the lighter burden or the good and pleasant yoke, as that's what easy means, it's a good and pleasant yoke in this life, then we have to walk in this yoke with Christ, which means we have to accept his overall way of doing life, his overall rule of life. That's what we have to accept. That's what discipleship means. We have to learn what it means to be Christ-like and do it opposed to our current way of living life. Now we're back to what, what we started with. Why? Because it's something we have to do and it's a command. No, because of our great love for Jesus, because of his great love for us. That's what this flows out of love. We love Jesus, so we submit more and more of our lives to him. And it's at that time and over time that we grow emotionally and spiritually and begin to experience the easy yoke and the light burden that Jesus is speaking of here treasuring the greatness of knowing Christ and loving God more and more. We've been adopted into a new family. That's what I want to encourage you with this morning as well. So as Pastor Keevan talked about a few weeks ago, it's like, well, you don't know where I come from. You don't know my family of origin. You don't know my upbringing. Here's what I want you to understand is you've been adopted into a new family so that your old family does not determine your rule of life and how you live with Jesus as the priority of your life. Your family of God through Christ is your new family so you can have a new destiny in Christ. You can have a, a new purpose determined by God, not by your earthly parents, not by your life situation, not by your circumstances, but by your good heavenly Father. This is such good news. It's the heart of the gospel that we get to address God as Father. The thought that we can say to him, you are my Father, is what we get to accept and address because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the truth is spoken of in Romans, one example of how we could submit our lives completely to God so that he continues to make us complete in Christ. 
It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. That is an intimate name. That is a close name. That says you put your rule of life in such a way that you grow vertically towards God, that you know him more intimately. You get closer to him, and you can call him Papa, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Man, what a powerful passage of scripture. Becoming emotionally and spiritually healthy enough to experience a maturing relationship with God requires a life that spends time with God, that has a rhythm that allows God to speak to us so that we can love God well and love other people well. And this scripture provides the basis for a simple way to see how you're doing in moving from an emotional infant to a maturing emotional adult being formed into the image of Jesus. How is your time with God? Is it full of me statements and what I need and what I need and what God you've got to do because if you don't, I mean, that's all true, but is that all your time is? Or do you just delight in being with your heavenly Father? There's an author who was writing about talking to God and he said there's kind of four ways. We can either talk to God, we can uh, talk to God in such a way that we can uh, just tell him everything that we need to do and that, that he needs to do for us or we can, we can listen to God or we can actually just be with God. Do you just talk to him? It's like talk at God, talk to God. Do I listen to God or am I just being with God? See where you are on this progression to know if you're actually, see if I'm just talking at God, here's, here's my, I'm just kind of a vine that's down here on the ground. But as I begin to order my life in such a way that it's prioritizing my treasure of Jesus above all things, I begin to do from talking at God and to God and even with God to just being with God and enjoying his presence. You can hear this type of desire, and I'll draw this to a close because I think this is our cry today from the psalmist in Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. I always love that declaration right there. That's my God right there. That's, you ever think that, that's my daddy, or that's my mom, or that's my son. It's like, that's just that, that's, that's, that's my God. That you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you man that i would praise you jesus we're going to sing before we go out of here this morning this is a day of new beginnings right the old is passing change is coming by your spirit as i order my life in such a way that follows in the footsteps of my savior so that i don't just live in the lowly places of a horizontal life but so that that horizontal life can be healthy and well i make a rule of life that is vertical and is prioritized god as the treasure of my life 
Find time to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Find time to walk in the footsteps of Jesus together with one another. That by faith, even the smallest change to your emotional health can grow into a powerful move of the Holy Spirit in your life. Say, what, 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 what? I don't get the rule of life. What does that mean? It means that you have some things in your life that are important. You, just like you would write rules of the household at your house or rules of my life in your little journal or put it on your phone. This is how I want to live my life. And you begin to apply this rule of life as a way that you would honor Jesus. So it could be in scripture reading. It could be through prayer. It could be through silence and solitude. I'm going to have some silence and solitude in my life. Or I'm going to have the daily office of my life. Or I'm going to daily study the scripture. Not just read it, but study it. Or I'm going to have a Sabbath where I rest and let God show that I don't have to work and the world can still spin on its axis without me. I'm going to serve and I'm going to go and I'm going to be on mission. There's going to be a simplicity in my life. I'm going to care for my physical body. I'm going to care for my emotional health. I'm going to love my family. I'm going to walk in this journey in community with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to be a part of the church. These are all things that, that affect our rule of life. What's your rule as it pertains to those things? Do you have one? The life that we live is supposed to be a life that loves God and loves people well. And it's also one that keeps our hearts and our souls well. I believe we're going to continue to grow in stature as a church. I believe we're going to continue to grow in number as a church. I believe God's doing something unique in this body that he started long ago. But he's going to finish. And we get to be a part of that. Something great, not just in our community, but in the earth. God is growing us up. We just have to have a rule of life that intentionally gives God the room to grow us up. We have to wrap ourselves around him. And let him wrap himself around us. And then we can healthily begin to grow in such a way that our eyes are fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith as we look heavenward, we keep our mind not on earthly things down here on the ground, but on heavenly things so that we can do some kind of earthly good for the glory of God. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior, so I'll close with the scripture that I started with, 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We cannot imitate Jesus' obedience without knowing what God wants and then doing it. Consciously obeying God is actively relating with God, just like through prayer. If we are a church, we're going to go to a place where God has his rightful place in our souls at the center of our lives, then we're going to have to love Christ above everything else. We need to see him more and more clearly for who he is and what he's like and follow in his footsteps until he leads us home, upward, heavenward. Keep our eyes up. Where does my help come from? That's where I lift my eyes to. If you think about all the imagery and all the metaphors throughout the scripture, everything is taking us from this lowly, horizontal place to lifting our eyes up and growing upwards in Christ. As Paul said, that I am pressing towards the goal in Christ Jesus, that I press on to finish this call that is on my life. What? This upward call in Christ. I want us to grow with a rule of life that orders everything around our treasure of Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and invite others into that. So that what we've been talking about won't just be something that we experienced and forgot about. But what we've been talking about, even what we're talking about today is something that changes our life moving forward so we can be disciples that follow in the footsteps of the one that we want to imitate and that is Jesus, the Son.
Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.